This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. This week we've produced a special show about San Diego specials. San Diego specials is a term coined by Mayor Todd Gloria before he was mayor. He put the idea in an opinion piece on our side a couple years ago saying essentially San Diego has these special projects, these dilemmas, these civic riddles that other cities seem to overcome pretty easily, and we just can't. Why is that? We at Voice of San Diego have compiled five essays For this week, all this week, we've put them up each day. You can see the collection of them at VOSD.org slash specials. That's VOSD.org slash specials. There's a link in the show notes. For this episode of the podcast, we thought it would be only right to bring in the man who came up with the name himself, Merta Gloria. So, Gloria, I, Andrew Keats, and now... Oh, man, former managing editor Sarah Libby. Talk to him about our list of San Diego specials. We compared lists and why these problems are the way they are and why we just can't seem to solve them. But first, before we get into it with Mary Todd Gloria, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has given so far during our spring fundraising campaign. We're trying to raise $80,000 this week to keep paying the bills, keep this podcast going and thriving, and fuel all of our reporting. All that money comes together, uh, actually helps pay for things, but also helps us demonstrate to other grants, grant makers and investors and others that we are worthwhile, worth supporting, because you value this work. So if the voice of San Diego and this show mean anything to you, now is the time to jump aboard and support this effort. If you've given just a few dollars, For every podcast you listen to or for every morning report you read, that would actually help tremendously. And if you give at the membership level, which is just $3 a month, 
You can have access to our politics report. That's what Andrew Keats and I put together every Saturday. You can give now at VOSD.org slash give. That's VOSD.org slash give. Now, let me be clear. We didn't pull off the throttle with the politics report when we put it behind this paywall. It's our first paywall thing ever. Members are the only ones who get to read the politics report. But we still deliver every week breaking news, insights, analysis, uh, our own takes on what's going on in the world of local politics, state politics. If you're into this show, you'd be into that, and it's worth $3 a month, definitely. You can do that at VOSD.org slash give. That's VOSD.org slash give. That's also in the show notes. Thank you again. Before we get into some of our favorite San Diego specials, which we are going to do, we're going to go around, we're going to discuss different San Diego specials. But before we do that, I, I want to turn it over to the mayor himself and ask, first of all, what, how, how long would you say you had perceived this, uh, this persistent problem in San Diego? How long have you thought to yourself, boy, it sure seems like... Uh, like we have a, a, a special way about us that we that we manage not to put these things to bed. When when did that you know idea start occurring to you as a as a um, a leader in the public policy space? I uh, would say as a as a lifelong San Diegan, there's just a, there are some themes uh, around here and uh, some uh, reoccurring in every election, every uh, focus group pilot program that you see just reoccurring stuff that just. It doesn't ever get done. And, uh, you know, in terms of synthesizing that as an idea, I don't know, probably sometime when I was a congressional staffer um, or maybe early in my term, I was a city council member. But, um, you know, I, I my first time in the mayor's office uh, was when I was runner up for the mayor for the day essay contest when I was in the fourth grade. And uh, uh, I suspect they were talking about connecting the airport to the to the to the trolley system and expanding the convention center at that time as well. Uh, and here we are, you know, 30 plus years later and uh Still talking about it. What's yeah. the key aspect of a San Diego special? I, I think one, like maybe not aspect, but you know, if you're looking for like signs, if there's like a San Diego special out there, you know, like when you're fishing, you look for birds that are in the ocean. Like if you see a task force, do you know that there's a San Diego special? Uh, yes, uh, 100%. Uh, and you know, I can think of a lot of my good friends who've served on these task force over the years, and I'm not sure how they feel about um, being a, maybe a chapter in the story of, of uh, San Diego Special Volume One. Uh, but yeah, that's that, and um, you know, a couple press conferences, maybe some drawings or renderings. I think those are oh, often oh, renderings are key, often some, key. Some stu- studies and commissions. A state of the city address probably is featured once, twice. Ten times uh, the video, maybe like a like a, a pre uh, pre state of the city speech video. That's a key part. Sometimes. Well, you have to frame it, and you you need a venue to show the renderings, right? So uh, it's all connected. There's a conspiracy of you know graphic artists and speech writers and and, <laughs> and uh, consultants that work on on uh, uh, blue ribbon panels that that love these things. But I think for the vast majority of San Diegans, it's it's extremely frustrating. All right, let me let me first of all say, Mayor Gloria, thank you very much because this section right here is going to be the tree that bears fruit for the next 
three and a half to potentially eight years. Every state of the city speech, every study, every task force you put forward, I'm coming back to this bad boy. All right. So thank you for that. Uh, but you're welcome to hold me accountable. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, since we're talking about the studies and the, the renderings and whatnot, I know that um, probably no San Diego politician really wants to look to Bob Vilner as a shining example, or maybe not at least admit publicly that they do that. But before the sexual harassment scandal went down, one thing that was sort of his signature move was just kind of dispensing of a lot of these formalities that have kind of dogged a lot of processes and like, oh, what if we just put up some cones and then call it a day and like um, really just, I don't know, sort of like inventive and quick fixes. Do you see some value in that approach to some of these issues? And do you think that there are San Diego specials that could benefit from that kind of treatment? Yeah, I do. And I, I, Yes, the reprehensible personal behavior, uh, as well as a number of other uh, failings, uh, make the individual you acknowledged uh, not the <laughs> the right originator of ideas. But and I wouldn't say that he claims uh, ownership of that. But um, to your question, you know, I think that we've already built upon that with the Palisades, uh, right? So you were talking about Plaza de Panama and Balboa Park. You know, the same process was. Uh, just completed uh, in the Palisades and has done exactly what these things should do. You know, you the, the parking lot was reclaimed for people. There's some pretty cool roller skating that goes on there weekend nights. There's all kinds of fun stuff. And then you see the Automotive Museum does a facelift. You see uh, the Muni Gym get a facelift. The Comic-Con uh, uh, Museum will have some news for you soon on. But Sarah, I think going forward, one of the areas where I think that that model could be replicated um, pretty effectively is on Fifth Avenue, uh, where... You know, back when I was a city council member and we were discussing potentially eliminating parking there, that, of course, was a no-go and everyone lost their minds. Uh, we settled on a loading zone on weekend nights. Um, now we have a situation where outdoor dining has been a home run and people kind of like being able to meander down Fifth Avenue. I, while there is a big vision of like a $60 million capital improvement uh, effort that would be amazing, I think that the appropriate next step would be the cones, the striping, Let's just get it done. Uh, and I think particularly for those who are in the business of trying to raise the money to pedestrianize Fifth Avenue, I think that they would benefit from being able to show people the crowds and the enjoyment of the space um, and therefore be able to successfully raise the dollars to actually do the capital improvement. I think also potentially it could not only be an iterative process on Fifth, but a contagious uh, symptom throughout the community that that you know India Street says, oh, we want to get a little bit of that. Or that doesn't make uh, it sound very appealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in like the word contagious. Especially days, in, we get in the middle need, of this yeah. pandemic, right? Uh, uh, University Heights, North Park, Kensington, all you know, uh, lots of different communities. Bar- Barrio Logan, Logan Heights, could all say, why don't we get a little bit of this um, this this process? So yeah, I think that's sort of uh, something that we haven't seen much of. And the joke I've been making is that had this outdoor dining concept that we've lived with for the last year been introduced as a proactive pilot program, people would be throwing parades for themselves about how wildly successful it was as a pilot program that X number of businesses decided to join and X number of consumers enjoyed it over the last year. And and lo and behold, there was no anger about lost parking. Um, but instead, we we were forced into it by emergency circumstances, and now we're kind of working backwards from there. But maybe working backwards isn't the worst thing that we could a- that we could ever have to do. 
I'm with you. I mean, if it saves us another San Diego special, I mean, if we end up being able to pedestrianize areas that people like and enjoy and as a consequence, make them safer uh, for uh, for families and individuals, that's great. Um, and, you know, Andy, you, you touched upon something. If this podcast is turning into group therapy, I, I will reference <laughs> back to uh, the city's parklet ordinance that I worked on back when I was on the city council. And I think we dedicated the first parklet actually on the day of the announcement of the resignation of the person Sarah was talking about before. Um, and, uh, you know, it was not necessarily heralded as a good thing. Um, the crowd was quite small. Um, uh, and it took us years and years, to your point, until we did another one. Um, uh, it's an iterative process, as you say, but I think this is something that has a lot of legs to it. And the role of the city should be that we assist it, particularly utilizing, I think, low-cost interventions and allowing those communities that really want to self-elect to do this to do it uh, in a more intensive way uh, if they can raise the support amongst themselves. And you're exactly right. I think Little Italy would be a second uh, uh, second step to uh, Fifth Avenue, Normal Street and Hillcrest, uh, San Diego Avenue and Old Town. I think there are places where this could be done successfully and help strengthen our tourism economy me as well as make those neighborhoods more vibrant for residents. So I went back and read your op-ed where you laid out what a San Diego special is, and it struck me um, one thing in particular. You sort of really called out the airport authority and were pretty critical of them um, at the time, and it felt to me like a lot of times in San Diego politics, people just aren't really willing to call out specific agencies or even specific politicians. Um that are maybe holding up progress? And do you think that that sort of unwillingness to have uncomfortable conversations is is part of what keeps things a San Diego special? I'm sure as mayor, you have to be very diplomatic. Um, but it just feels like a lot of times one of the factors in so many of these things is like we're not really willing to go there or like challenge things in an uncomfortable way. What do you think about that? I think there's something there to that. I mean, uh, you know, in politics, you know, your your enemy today could be your friend tomorrow. So I, I think there's some strategy in thinking through not burning bridges with everyone involved. And in fact, I remember writing that op-ed and being frustrated with the airport authority. Fast forward to today, I think that they're actually doing a great job. Uh, and their willingness now to spend some of their dollars off-site, recognizing they have traffic impacts in the surrounding community, uh, shows that we can get change uh, from these organizations. Uh but to your to your general premise, I mean, there there is a a niceness to San Diego politics that, frankly, I think is not a bad thing, uh, to the extent that it keeps lines of communications uh, flowing, uh, coalitions built. Uh, but if it results in the lack of forward progress on key things that. Um, we need to do to be successful as a region or frankly just stuff to get off the municipal list of things to do uh, that is not good um, but I think it more stems from the <laughs> the lack of willingness to engage I mean when I look at some of the the more low uh, end San Diego specials you know they, they persist simply through lack of action uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more ac- action oriented Andy I think we wanted to now like see if our list of San Diego specials lined up with what the mayor might have? We chose this week five San Diego specials. I thought it would be useful to see how much our list of five aligned with Mayor Gloria's list of five. So he already mentioned one of them. Yes. He he brought up the convention center himself. And the airport, right? Yeah. Yeah. So are are those, those two are on your list, I presume? They are. Okay. All right. Uh, well, we've talked a little bit about the airport. 
let's talk about the convention center. What um, obviously all three of our journalistic careers have included the discussion of the convention center. Your entire political career has included a convention, the discussion of the convention center. What, uh, what is it about the convention center that makes it so intransigent? Uh, probably the need to go to the ballot. Okay. The, you know, part of this, uh, very long story uh, involves multiple attempts that didn't involve going to the ballot or some modified version of going to the people. And um, we are where we are today. Um, Thinking about the assessment districts, the uh, fees, not taxes, uh, those things. I think generally people, even folks who are not that into the convention center, recognize expansion is necessary. They may quibble on designs, renderings. Um, But at the end of the day, I think they understand we need to do that. the, the, the funding mechanism has been uh, particularly challenging. But I think to your point about uh, the, it being, you know, the, a, a key distinction in the definition being that these are problems that other places have solved. We're not the only place in California where we have this two-thirds voter threshold issue that has a tourism business or a convention industry business. San Francisco manages to have a, a large convention center. Anaheim ha- has been in competition with us for potentially con- uh, Comic-Con. Why, wh- why, why are we unable to maneuver this uh, ballot requirement that others seem able to? Well, I acknowledge the difficulty of going to the ballot, particularly with a revenue measure. I mean, it's hard, um, not just the threshold, but just in general. And, you know, I think that we have to be much more straightforward with voters and say, listen, this is what we have to do. This is what we're going to use it for. Uh, And I think they will respond favorably. I mean, I think about another San Diego special around height limits. Um, Maybe that isn't exactly a San Diego special, but, um, you know, something that was once we were straightforward with folks and saying, listen, for the Midway area, for the purposes of helping to build a new sports arena, it did extremely well. And I think that um, if you are a municipal leader, mayor who maybe has uh, uh, difficulty talking about revenue measures or, or wanting to uh, be direct with voters like that, you know, it's going to suffer. You need a strong leadership, particularly the mayor, but really everyone involved to say, this is what we have to do and, and put it forward. I think it would be more successful. These other permutations that were done previously, I think, eroded our ability to to be able to play it straightforward on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The The existence of a San Diego special begets the continued persistence of the San Diego special. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. That's like well, a, a, that's a ph- philosophical conundrum. I don't know how we get out of that one. It's like a Mobius, a Mobius strip of San Diego politics. Um, so I wrote the, uh, the, the San Diego special essay on, on the convention center. And I think like, I, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, I think we all minimize the two thirds threshold. Like it, it is, yeah. it is a major force in California public policy regarding, especially these types of things, right? Building things that require a special investment of public funds. And so, but I also think like there was, there's, there's some really interesting results of that. And the, the creativity that came out of trying to get around that has really um, led to a lot of delay and, and sort of complications. So I, I was talking to Andrea Guerrero, she's the executive director at the Alliance San Diego, and they've kind of emerged as one of the top opponents or sort of critics or obstacles for the city to get the, the convention center 
at least latest measure done. So just to catch up, um, in March 2020, we voted uh, overwhelmingly to support uh, a tax increase to fund homeless services and the expansion of the convention center and roads, uh, but it wasn't that two-thirds. And, you know, there are a lot of court things going on to see if we can get to that two-thirds. And uh, Guerrero's team at Alliance San Diego and their lawyers and others have uh, fought that or are fi fighting that in court. And I, I really asked her to, like, drill down deep. And, and she said, look, I have no problem with the convention center. And I think she said, like, I, I would do anything. I, I would be plenty happy to say that I'm against uh, expanding the convention center. That's not it. What, I, what, I, what frustrates me is that we need to have, like, more democratic process and make sure that the things we say to people are, are straight. We can debate that all we want. But one of the things she said was the city has never sort of directly asked voters just straight up, do you want to expand the convention center? And to pay for it, do you want to do X? Do you think that's true? Do you, would you agree with that, um, considering what Measure C does, which is say, says that, but also felt obligated to include the homeless services and the roads and, and some other aspects? Well, it's true that the measure spoke to multiple challenges the city's facing, not just expanding the convention center. Uh, and those are challenges I hear from San Diegans. You know, roads are in terrible condition. Homelessness is at unacceptably high levels. And I don't think there's anything wrong with combining those, particularly in this case where we're asking visitors to pay for these things uh, on our behalf. Uh, so I, I don't quibble with the the form of the measure. Um, it is not a purely a pure question of the convention center. Uh, but, you know, I, I think a, a hallmark of San Diego specials going back to renderings and blue ribbon panels is also a complaint about process uh, in order to undermine the outcome that you want or to, to, to try and achieve the outcome that you want. You know, we can we can nitpick everything to death and have nothing to show for it. Um, I think we have to stop doing that or we will have nothing to show for anything. I'd I, like to nit, nitpick a different San Diego <laughs> special to death uh, for a moment. Um because we've got to get through five. So I want to, but we, we briefly talked about transit to the airport. So we're now in a precarious place in the world of San Diego specials, which is environmental impact studies, renderings, competing proposals, uh, maps. Boy, spending a lot of time looking at different maps of different routes to the airport. Mayor Gloria, which is the correct route to the airport and the correct project to bring transit to the airport. The the proposals for our listeners, there is a, this is the central mobility hub is the name of the project that Sandeg is pursuing. One option. Is that the, is the new intermodal transit center? Uh, it's uh, the subcat, I mean, uh, ITC is a subcategory of the central mobility okay. hub. They're, get your, they're all beautifully named. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. go based on the name. <laughs> Please get your hierarchy of concepts <laughs> correct here, Scott. So above <laughs> the top, we have Central Mobility Hub. One concept is the Grand Central Station. Uh, generally speaking, at the uh, NAVWAR site would be a massive uh, project undertaken alongside the Navy um, that would include a essentially a people mover from that old town area around the runway into the terminals. The other concept is the ITC project, which would, I think, centrally be a, a scaled-down version of the central mobility hub, but would still be placed with a, a lot of different transit options coming to one place and then, with a, again, with a people mover, but that's a little bit closer to the airport. Uh, and then the third option would be 
a sort of just a spur, just a trolley spur from the an existing station south of the airport, probably Santa Fe Depot, it looks like, but I don't know that that's set in stone. And then to the to to the airport. So Grand Central, inner mobility, intercostal mobility hub. <laughs> And uh, Santa Fe Depot trolley spur concept. Mayor Gloria, which is the right one and when are we going to do it? And Andy, you're missing a key one, which <laughs> there will be a heavy constituency for, which is do nothing. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, right. No project, al- no project yeah, and, alternative. And to be yes. clear, as, I'm surprised you didn't do this, Andy. There is a bus that goes to the airport. I know. This is what I, I, was, I was waiting I was waiting for. for that to like come. That's a big, a big and, Andy, and, Andy thing. And soon to be a new electric shuttle from Old Town Ooh, that will be added as well. All right, go starting ahead. Starting in I didn't uh, November. Off, sir. Okay. So to answer your question directly, I do think the Grand Central concept is the preferred one for, for me. And the reason I say that is that you know it, it is attempting to cure multiple ills, right? There is the direct connection to the airport, which we are missing and is undoubtedly a San Diego special. But there is this notion of trying to build a world-class transportation network far beyond uh, just connecting the airport to our light rail system um, and is a feature of our regional transportation plan that Sandag, that I'm honored to be the vice chair of, will have to vote on later this year. You know, it is time for us to start really building out a network um, that will get people from all over the county. So to the question of, uh, you know, how do we get people from the light rail system to the airport? Well, there's a good question about how much light rail do we have? You know, right now we are going to cut the ribbon later this year on the Midcoast extension. After that, there isn't necessarily a lot of firm plans for where we're going to build additional rail lines. And I guess what I'm arguing for is trying to take this San Diego special and enlarge it, not to make it an ongoing San Diego special, uh, but to say that, okay, this isn't just about folks from uh, South Bay and East County getting to the airport, but it's also about making sure folks from North County, North Inland, et cetera, can get there. And that's what the regional transportation plan is about, the central mobility hub, or as you mentioned, an ITC either way is meant to be a part of an interconnected network that gets more people into mass transit. Okay. 15 years ago, if we had done this San Diego special podcast, we would have absolutely put the airport itself on the list. Right. And that didn't even occur to us. Would you say, so when you, when the former mayor in your job in that office, uh, Mayor Jerry Sanders was there, that was a big thing. We were talking about whether to move the airport. Would you say that that has been resolved forever? It will never move and it will always be where it is? I, I think for many of us, uh, that's true. I mean, I certainly hear from San Diegans every now and again who have uh, remembrances of floating proposals out in the ocean or other things. But yeah, I think for most folks, we have made that decision and we're investing billions of dollars to make our current airport work better. Uh, you know, the, what led us to this conversation was an op-ed around Terminal 1 and the fact that we need to tear that thing down and build a new one um, that works better for San Diego. Um, and I'm we're obviously we're currently in a environmental review process, and we hope to be breaking ground right. on that relatively soon. So, w- by 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 virtue of the fact that we're investing billions into San Diego International Airport, I think that issue is resolved. So we might say that what that proves is that just as you said before, one of the options to to this problem with the connection to the airport and the trolley was to do nothing. Sometimes the way to solve a San Diego special <laughs> is just to get everybody on board with the fact 
that it need not be dealt with. Yeah. That, it, that, it, that in fact, we could just assume that the way it is is the best and then optimize it from there. Maybe, but I would say that you know a, a true small town thinker would have left Terminal One and Terminal Two as is. Uh, we'd still have the commuter terminal. We, you know, none of the improvements that have happened there, the consolidated uh, rental car facility, none of these things would have happened. Uh, instead, I think we have made the decision, which is that there are other viable alternatives. The voters were given an opportunity to to say we want to go to Miramar. They turned that down handily. Um, and in the meantime, we've done smart things like the you know the Terminal Two uh, expansion. The CBX uh, border crossing into Rodriguez is fantastic and I think is emblematic of who we are as a binational region. So I think it isn't a matter of neglect. It's a matter of making an affirmative decision to invest literally billions of dollars in multiple projects that really address the concerns that were driving some to say we need to vacate uh, Lindbergh Field and move move elsewhere. All right. Next one. Mayor Gloria, what do you got? I'm going to say short-term vacation rentals. Yeah. Boy, three for three. Just, boy, just knock, lace and doubles we need, we through need the like gap a, right here. A ding. Ding. Sarah, I didn't read Lisa's piece yet, so you can fill this in, but um, let's ask the mayor first. Do we think it has been resolved? Because I'm not sure if Lisa made that call or not, because this is the, the question. We had some that were resolved, some that weren't. So my takeaway is that it's um, more on its way to being resolved than ever, but Lisa did identify some perhaps stumbling blocks, uh, chiefly that the Coastal Commission has to sign off on the new rules that we've created, and they seem to have indicated that they're not prepared to do that yet. Is that your understanding of where things are at? We definitely have some implementing hurdles that are left, you know, not just at Coastal, but within development services, permit issuance, creation of neighborhood compliance to actually enforce on the matter. Uh, but I, I'm I'm optimistic that those things are going to be surmountable. Um, can I just interject? Let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. So what we, what we did as a community uh, through the city council is decide that there should be a cap on the number of short-term vacation rentals. The city would issue licenses for those, I guess, in a sort of very fair lottery type system. Uh, And they would only grow in number based on the number of housing units in the city, correct? And so thus you cap it and then you can use the fees for that to uh, enforce the rules around it. So what's different this time, you know, as a member of a city council that voted, I think, on two different occasions to initiated an ordinance that neither of those votes ever went anywhere. Uh, They both were ignored by the previous administration. Uh, What we have in this situation that's different is uh, a council member uh, who went to hell and back, in my opinion, uh, to find consensus between uh, different parties, bring that item for the city council, get a strong, you know, 8-1 vote for passage. Mayor signs it um, and is now directed city staff to implement it. Um, and Sarah, you're right. You know, there are questions around Coastal Commission. I'm sure there'll be um, other questions that come up. Let's be really clear. No ordinance is perfect on the day it's uh, implemented. There's always going to be modifications that are necessary. But on the whole, I think what we've agreed or what we've realized is that we can regulate this use uh, and that we're going to do it. And by the way, that's something that most other cities long ago figured out. It just took us a bit longer to do that. I got to say, in the, the, if, if the San Diego special concept was a professional wrestling program, the Coastal Commission would be like Sting, standing up in the rafters, 
out out of the spotlight. Just like you think it's going one way, and all of a sudden it's like, "By God, that stings music!" and <laughs> and just comes flying down with just a. I mean, because you know, there's there's all there's nothing that can't be disrupted at the last minute by the Coastal Commission, and frankly. I welcome their participation. It makes it makes things very interesting. Uh, what what do you th- what is it that the Coastal Commission doesn't like about this proposal? Well, the Coastal Commission has, as many of your listeners will know, because they listen to the Voice San Diego podcast, <laughs> <laughs> responsibilities for the management of our coast, and it's about making sure that all Californians can access it. And so, low cost visitor accommodations are something that they think is important. We all know if you got a bunch of bucks to spend, you can stay at luxury hotels up and down the coastline. You know, the opportunity to stay in a more modest setting at a more affordable price is a major concern of theirs. And I think what we are sharing uh, with them is that we've created a circumstance where there certainly will be still plentiful number of vacation rentals. And the difference is gonna be that they are gonna be well-regulated, that we're gonna know where they are, they're gonna pay their taxes, and they're gonna be held accountable if they uh, operate in ways that harm the quality of life in our coastal zone. Um, so I think we have a good story to tell them. Um, but I share their concern about making sure that people of all economic classes, of all stripes and colors, creeds can actually access the coastline. That's a real concern, particularly in our housing crisis is a feature of this. Um, so I'm grateful for their participation. I think if they have modifications, we welcome hearing their feedback. I think one thing Lisa did a really good job laying out is one of the sort of persistent features of of this particular challenge was just how like intractable the sides were and it really felt as if vacation rental opponents um you know they had this memo from the city attorney saying that vacation rentals are wholesale illegal and it feels like they kind of clung to that and just said they are illegal there should be no vacation rentals and anything other than that was unacceptable. And it feels like we only sort of made progress once we were like, well, okay, that's not really on the table. And we felt some sort of freedom to kind of like maybe ignore that position a little bit or ignore the fact that we well, couldn't compromise at all. Well, they, well once you change the law, the, then that that legal interpretation is no longer operative because you've you've added the 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 interpretation was basically this category doesn't exist in the municipal code and the city council vote added it to the municipal code basically unless i'm yeah. unless i'm mistaken well i think there's something to what scott was saying before about the airport about a level of practicality that just has to get involved here we've long had vacation rentals in our city uh, and to suggest that we haven't or that they were entirely illegal um was something that most folks couldn't really understand. It wasn't practical to suggest that we would never have them or we'd eliminate all of them. Um, And so what was put forward was a very practical solution to a problem that, again, most other cities had solved long ago. Uh, Instead, we decided to run an entire mayoral campaign around uh, this issue, which um, is supremely frustrating when you see the real issues that are facing us that um, that are significant housing, homelessness, infrastructure, et cetera. We're going to take a quick break. We've got more with Mayor Todd Gloria on the other side. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. 
How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. All right, Mayor Gloria, three for three, up to up to bat for the fourth time tonight, hitting for the cycle. What do you got? I'm gonna give you scooters. Oh. Ooh, not that's a good one on our list. Oh, no, dang. not on our list. Uh, but but I'd like to hear your case. Go for it. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm maybe not surprised that there's not alignment on this particular question, and I think it is very similar to uh, the vacation rental issue. Uh, I think we're showing there's degrees of San Diego special, right? Mm-hmm. Scott coined mega uh, special a little bit ago. Uh, this would not be a mega special, but it is uh, another issue that other cities uh, dealt with uh, relatively successfully, and we did not. And it was precisely because there was sort of zero uh, from the previous administration on this issue. Um, you know, they just appeared. Uh, they utilizing the public rights of way. There are real concerns and questions about stuff. You know, it kind of tangentially gets to our slow deployment of bike lanes and protected bikeways and other stuff that uh, also sometimes has a sort of look and shape of a, a San Diego special. But p- point is, you know, this was something that once both state and local regulations were passed, a lot of this was dealt with. I bring it up because you know later this year we will be issuing a request for proposals to further uh, regulate this space uh, because we continue to get complaints about it. And and I don't want to minimize people's feel. If you live next to a vacation rental or if you live in an area with a lot of dockless scooters, I understand how this impacts your life. Uh, and but these are not the biggest issues in the city. And I think Sarah, to your point. Uh, whether it's the Tijuana River Valley or homelessness, you know, there are issues that consume a lot of our time, attention and resources. Uh, unfortunately, in recent years, it seems like they've gravitated towards these smaller specials rather than these bigger issues that, frankly, more people talk to me about, but don't consume as much of the bandwidth uh, or as much of the interview time as I've had in recent years. All right. What is the last one on your list? What do you got? This may be we may have alignment on this one. I'm going to refer to it as sports venues because I think you could have it be a football stadium, a sports arena, but I think just the soccer, soccer suddenly a, a persistent question. This is a total uh, sop to Lewis because I know he loves a good rendering, and there are renderings galore for these things. Um, task forces, tons of task tons forces. of those, but uh, you know, I, I'm not wanting to narrow it down to either the Charger Stadium or. 
Mission Valley or Sports Arena or whatnot, but it just this this thing. You know, I was in Vegas not long ago and looking at their new stadium and thinking that seemed to happen real fast. <laughs> I don't know how many task force were involved in that, but my suspicion is it was less than the ones here, uh, well, and they have more to show for it. Well, I, I have a lot to say about this. We got to move on. <laughs> no, so uh, so let's talk about that for a second first. Look, at, if you look at the main difference between like Vegas and here, it's the two thirds vote. Like they they were able to pass a special tax on hotels in Nevada with uh, uh, without getting um, a vote of the people at two thirds. Getting that two-thirds vote is just so hard, and it, and it let, led people to like do some crazy things for so many years to try to get around it. And, and so I, I, I kind of wonder like if people have really internalized like just how big of a force that has been in why our city is the way it is on those sort of big sort of specific issues. If I may, um, I'll take it yeah. in a slightly different direction in the sense that of with the with the football team, you know, I don't think enough has been said about how committed or not they were to, to staying. And so, yes, Scott, I think what you just mentioned in terms of voter threshold is a real thing, but it's also difficult to advance a proposal with – I think less than full-throated commitment to staying in this market, um, and I, the, my proof point for that is that you know, as the downtown city council member uh, for a number of years, you know, I had precisely two meetings with the football team, and both were at my request. You know, if you are advancing a citizens' initiative to raise taxes to build a new sports venue, you think that there would have been a lot more robust discussions with the city, understanding you know what commitments we were willing to make, how far we're willing to go, what modifications offer. Etc. Those those conversations were not had, certainly not at their request. Um, and so I think that all of these things conspired to a lot of renderings, a lot of uh, blue ribbon panels, and a lot of inaction. So in in your in your definition of the special, the sports venues, it has not been resolved yet because there are some outstanding questions about the arena and such, right? Right. I mean, so we, we that we have evidence before our eyes. Mission Valley is coming up, and the right. Aztec Stadium is there. Um, sports Arena. You know, I'm doing my best to keep it from becoming uh, a new San Diego special. We had um, the previous administration's failure to, you know follow state law. And so we're sort of restarting that process. I was in Sacramento earlier this week, making sure they understood that uh, in addition to a new sports arena, I'm committed to making sure we have extremely large amount of housing that's affordable, particularly to working in middle-class San Diegans. I think with their, um, with the alignment of our interests, state, city, uh, we can move forward, get an RFP out, uh, select someone to dev- to provide these uh, a winning bid, and we'll move forward with this. Uh, but, you know, it does, at least the last few months, I, I would forgive you if you uh, were starting to put this on your watch list for a San Diego special. I got to I got to admit surplus land act in my previous metaphor that's that's just like a member of the crowd grabbing an aluminum chair and just decking the champ <laughs> that, like no one saw that one coming no except no. MTS no. so in, in <laughs> except our MTS. definition well done that's a reader that's, that's a reader true. right there <laughs> in our definition of this of this San Diego special we did just consider the Mission Valley stadium and that was resolved and I wrote it up as resolved and I think it provides us the opportunity to now step back at what it takes to resolve some of these things and when I look back at the the first task force for the stadium 
was uh, in like 2002, 2003, and it recommended what ultimately was actually the resolution to this problem, which is that, yeah, it's really hard to raise the money to build these kinds of facilities, convention center stadiums and such, but there was a lot of land value around that. And you could take that land value and, and either get wealth out of it or make it ready to, de- to deliver wealth. And, and that wealth could, could help build a civic uh, uh, you know, facility like that. Now, but that idea swam around for 15 years, 17 years. It came up over and over again. Came up with Soccer City, came up uh, the mayor's proposal for how to get Mission Valley Stadium built to the to the Chargers and the NFL. <laughs> yeah, all of those came up with some version of that, and it never went forward. And when I tried to identify what actually tipped it over to be resolved, I got to go back to Soccer City. And I think my theory would be like, something happened when Soccer City advanced their plan for this very sort of concept, and it freaked people out and it created a threat. And so what I would say is like the things that you have to do to overcome a San Diego special, one of the main things would be to create a kind of villain or threat that might change things into what you don't want. And it forces all of these people who have been sitting on the sideline to, to kind of overcome it with something different. Um, what do you think about, about that take? I don't know if that's a hot take. Uh, <laughs> that may be. It's like a it's like a geopolitical take. It's like what what we need is a is an outsider threat before we before we're going to come to some sort of agreement within our boundaries. Well, and I think it I think it relates to your point though about the restaurants and and COVID. You know, like it it took a health threat to overcome a lot of discussions about how to use streets or something like that. Like it took a it took something bigger to force people to just quickly act to do something different. Well, you're me something to think about, Scott. I, 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 my reaction to what kind of opened the door on some resolution in Mission Valley was San Diego State. And you know, don't underestimate the power of that institution. And being sure. able to put sure. that, I, I think which is also what we're trying to do with Sports Arena. It's not just about the sports venue. Think about what we did with Petco Park. You remember the campaign for that. It's more than a ballpark, right? I think San Diegans, many of us are not huge sports fans, right? And you need to see something in it for you. In the case of SDSU, you know, it wasn't just about a sports arena. It was about making sure that we were graduating thousands of well-trained people who can help power this economy going forward. And so, um, you know, it's about enlarging the conversation. Sports arena is going to be about, it's not just a, a venue for indoor soccer, it's going to be also a lot of housing that maybe a family like yours can afford to live in. I think broadening that conversation is really important. And you saw that with the convention center with hopefully, from where I sit, a positive result. You know, it's not just a convention center, it's homelessness, it's street repair. Yeah, I think what's interesting uh, about that, though, is, is San Diego State was always a bit player in this discussion. It was always like, they were always like called like a couple of days before whatever press conference or task force did whatever it did. It was never like a major force until the the Chargers left, and then this threat came. And then that that that's what it, I feel like triggered because I have never, and I think you could say this too, seen a coalition as broad and diverse stand up for something as it did for. San Diego State and that measure to get the the stadium and that that transformative plan in place and I 
and and it like you said showed the power and the, the love for San Diego State that is in this community. Like 125 years of of political capital, they decided to spend, and they they won big. But again, I I, I didn't. They could have done. They could have mobilized for 15 years and never did. And and I don't and I don't know. I'm trying to understand. Like as we look at some of these other problems, what could what could catalyze the both the leaders and the populace in the same way and is it only sports and only university no well you know one thought i had today uh, was around the shell uh, i don't think any of us think of this san diego symphony as being the, this powerhouse you know yeah. change driver uh, no, in this point. community yeah. but look what they accomplished while we were all sheltering at home and i guess the, I, I raise that to say that you know power in this town sometimes comes from unexpected places, uh, and maybe it took a while for San Diego State to do it. The symphony is there as well. There, you, we have seen some progress. Uh, sometimes it's a little quieter. Maybe those of us here today are focused too much on on the stuff that uh, has bedeviled us, and we maybe overlook the progress that is happening in our community. Uh, but it is happening, and and that gives me hope for a new San Diego that isn't. Uh, wrapped up in knots over the same old things, but actually exhibiting progress on making sure our university expands and, and is successful, that we have a vibrant arts and culture scene, uh, that we have a, an entertainment district uh, in the gas lamp quarter that is uh, pedestrianized and safe for folks. I mean, there's many of ways that we can advance progress, and maybe that's a difference in how this city is evolving, because it's certainly not the city I grew up in as a little boy. We've, we have become a major American city, a global city. And the challenge of the San, San Diego Special is that, that those persist when we don't act like who and what we are, uh, which is a major global city. So the last one on our list that you did not have on yours, um, I, I think is, in, in my opinion at least, uh, more serious than, than a, a lot of the other ones on this list, but qualifies because the solution is not a mystery and it has simply evaded uh, adoption for uh, crass or fleeting political reasons. Um, it is also something I have covered since I started at Voice of San Diego and that you played a deciding role in during you, the time that you were council president. Does, does, is this ringing any bells yet? I, like five bells. So I'm wondering which one you choose. <laughs> uh, this is the Barrio Logan community plan. Yes. Um, so, and, and we are once again at a bit of a, a potentially optimistic moment, maybe. I don't know. You, you're you're the, the person in charge of city staff that's working on this. Um, but Barrio Logan, quite shamefully, has a zoning uh, requirement that no other community in this city is subjected to. It has led to poor health outcomes in that community. Uh, the reasons for that are quite simple. It's, it's a, a, cert, a clear example of uh, environmental racism, in my opinion. And uh, the solution, again, is, is not a mystery. There are some details that we could quibble with on the margins, but the simple fact that right now you can build anything anywhere in that community and that is not a uh, reality anywhere else is clear. Uh, and the city has had basically a plan that solves that problem. And that plan has not gone into effect because of, I mean, for a long time, it was uh, back and forth debates about how exactly to separate those uses and what to do with the buffer area near the shipyards. 
um, and no amount of compromise or agreement on those particulars was enough to prevent the shipbuilding industry and the, uh, some of their supporters in the rest of the business industry and the previous mayor from joining a fight to get citywide voters to throw that plan out, which they did. And from then on, it's sort of just been in a, a holding pattern, status quo. Uh, no solution, no attempt at a solution really, maybe fits and starts of, of an attempt to, to restart the planning process. And now uh, city planners are moving dutifully through the process and, and could, my understanding is, go come to a city council vote to adopt that plan, which is no longer opposed by the shipbuilding industry. It is, which is, I, I want to say, say, I can't put too fine a point on that. The plan that was put to a citywide referendum six years, seven years ago is now largely in place today, and the shipbuilding industry is perfectly fine with it. All of the claims that this was going to lead to the Navy leaving San Diego, that this was going to kill the shipbuilding industry, that this was uh, a slippery slope that would lead to the end of industrial operations of any kind and all the jobs that come with it in that community. The people who were making those claims have signed on a dotted line that they're fine with this plan. And we now could be looking at adoption by the city council uh, by the end of this year, early next year, something along those lines. Uh, what is your take on where the Barrio Logan plan stands and whether it qualifies as a San Diego special? Well, first off, thank you for everything you just said. There has been few issues in my time in public service that have made me as pissed off as the Barrio Logan community plan. I mean, just, you know, fork in the back of my hand under the table, angry about what happened to that community. And to exactly the point you made, that here we are years later, and we're probably going to pass a plan that is substantially similar to what got referendized. Um, in terms of the update, Andy, you're exactly right. You know, I have directed our planning staff to move forward with bringing that before the city council as quickly as possible. We have to respect community process. That neighborhood um, has come, you know, in terms of the lemons and lemonade in this situation, um, it has organized that community um, to be much more vocal about their wants and desires going forward. And, you know, ultimately what I want the council to adopt uh, uh, hopefully reflective of, of that, of those wishes. Um, but I believe that we can conclude this sad part of our city's planning history soon. I don't know if it qualifies as a San Diego special in the sense that this has been around for a relatively short period of time. I think, sadly, it doesn't have the same attention on it that things like the airport and sports venues and convention center do. Uh, but to the extent that I believe that what happens in one community does impact all of our neighborhoods. What happened to Barrio Logan is wrong, and correcting it will accrue to the benefit of all of our city's neighborhoods. Can I just add, so when, when I look at the the list of the, the things that might overcome a San Diego special, so there was the threat thing I described, but then there's also like an unexpected leader stepping out of their like expected place. Like that seems to be a real key. You mentioned, I'm not saying necessarily the shipbuilding industry has been a great leader on this, but you need somebody in their, in their entrenched position to provide unexpected um, um, perspective or, or, or to go in an unexpected direction that can lead to resolution. Is that a fair uh, summary and I, I again I don't think they're heroes in any way on on resolving this but something has to break like that and so when you have the coastal city council member 
try to solve so short-term vacation rentals, for example, that, that seems like some version. Of yeah. Um, yeah, I shared, uh, I shared your question about motives and, and characterizations, but yeah, that often an actor makes a change. And I would say that's true of the council president's uh, leadership on vacation rentals, or frankly, the, the platforms, uh, and some neighborhood groups that came to that table and, and helped to sort that out. Um, yeah, this is also true here, but, um, there's no nobility in what's happened uh, in Barrio Logan. Um, what happened is wrong. Um, and, you know, my predecessor, you know, after helping to uh, uh, stop the Barrio Logan community plan, promised to uh, get, resolve that. And seven years later, it did not happen. Um, my hope is that we can do that in my first year in office. Uh, as Andy said, it may bleed it over a little bit, um, but that will largely because we're trying to be responsive to the concerns of the community who for too long have been ignored. This predates the Barrio Logan Community Plan. They didn't even have a community planning group uh, for a very, very, very long time. And that's unique and different and gets back to the, the inequities uh, that are often seen in our city that I'm particularly interested in disrupting. That brings us right up into the uh, end of our time, um, and uh, it's impressive that we solved uh, seven of the most pressing problems in uh, the city of San Diego during j- just one hour. So I yeah, guess you're we welcome. Should, we should probably do this more often, I guess. <laughs> well, it's always yeah. a pleasure to be with you guys. That's for sure. If, if all hours were as productive as this, uh, think of all that we could do for San Diego. podcast the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in san diego county if you like the show and the work we do at voice support it and when you give now our gift will be matched you'll be doubling your impact which is awesome support the show and all our work now at vosd.org slash give that's vosd.org slash give thank you so much i'm scott lewis editor-in-chief at voice san diego Andrew Keats is assistant editor, and Sarah Libby, at the time of this recording, was our managing editor. This show is produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.